Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. Before we get started with the show today, I just want to remind everyone to go to www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. This show relies on listener support, and if you donate more than $10 a month, or $30 in a single donation, we will be giving you a shout out on the show as a thank you. This week's episode was recorded in northern New Mexico, where Rebecca will be spending the winter. She and I will be recording together over the phone for some upcoming episodes, and she'll also be interviewing some of the artists she knows in the area. Now here, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello and welcome to the Messy Studio, New Mexico edition. I am sitting here with Cindy Stapper, and... um, we are in her beautiful New Mexico home in northern New Mexico. And Cindy and I um, connected, I don't know, was it like four years ago in Ireland? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cindy had come to take a workshop with me there. And um, she has uh, recently retired from a state office job in Texas where she grew up. And um Quite happy about that, I think, right, Cindy? Yes. <laughs> Very. <laughs> so now it's all about the art. And she has been painting all her adult life and professionally for about 12 years. And she got a very interesting story about how that's all gone. So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, what's behind her work and things she's done. And we're going to focus on her expansion into ways of expressing beyond representation. So for many years, her work was more referential, but she's been exploring abstraction and some other things. So welcome, Cindy. Thank you. And I think this um, it is kind of a fun story because we met in Ireland, and I s- said to you that Don and I were looking for property in New Mexico. <laughs> and you're like, oh, New Mexico, where? And I said, well, somewhere in the Santa Fe or Taos vicinity. And you said, well, you know, I've got this place. And so we ended up renting the place where we're sitting right now that first winter. Yes. Which was so nice and generous. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy to have you here. <laughs> and that's when we, we ended up finding our place. And um, so that was kind of what launched our being in New Mexico. And it's just a, a nice connection, and we and you took two workshops, right? Eventually, I did, yes. And then we've just stayed in touch, and yeah. now we're practically neighbors. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We're only twenty minutes away, and what I thought was so funny at the time that um, you guys came to stay here was that. Don actually thought my house was in Dixon, and so he thought he was going to be able to walk down the road to get a cup of coffee. And <laughs> it's actually, a little further than yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, and this place is, is quite a bit higher in elevation. So this, it is. This is a more wintry place, whereas Dixon, where we live, is more... It's, it's a little true. more temperate. But. We're in the foothills, just um, under. I'm I'm just under um, Hickory to Peak, at about eight thousand feet. Yeah. and I think Dixon's more like sixty five hundred because yeah. it's closer yeah. to the Rio. Grande. So coming back and forth is it's a beautiful drive um, through the cliffs and the canyons. So yeah, Dixon is my winter happy spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah right. It's cloudy, go down and snowing. To Dixon and I warm go up. to Dixon. Yeah. <laughs> so and we were just uh, kind of uh, talking a little bit before the, we started recording about how we we both share this love for Ireland and for this northern New Mexico and thinking, well, in a way, it's they're so different. I mean, what could be more different? 
And yet, and yet, and yet <laughs> there's something. <laughs> there is something. I and I was just wondering again at it because um, even though the imagery of a wild coastal watery landscape is very different from a dry, vast, rugged desert, uh, there are similarities in yeah. I think that spaciousness maybe and the wildness. That's what I would say. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I that's what came to mind when I was driving up and I was thinking about this and looking out at these canyons and everything. And that, yeah, the grandeur of it and mm-hmm. the um, and where we where we met and and where we both like to go in Ireland is County Mayo, which is a, a county that has a wild coastline, and it is the same kind of feeling. Like if you're out walking around here, um, surrounded by these cliffs and and all that it is there's something in the air that's similar there is. Yeah. and there's there's a real power to it and i think also the fact that both locations have drawn human culture from early prehistoric times True. Yeah. um you know in in new mexico um many indian tribes that i mean many thousands of years yes. going back, dating back many thousands of years that occupied this land and can still see the petroglyphs um mm-hmm. a lot of those uh and pottery shards and 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 so in the same way that ireland has cage of fields and yes you know, just neolithic sites that have been discovered you're, you're and, so you're aware of that presence of mm-hmm. people for thousands and thousands of years exactly. yeah that's another similarity mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. and i think they were drawn to powerful places i think they yeah. were drawn to places of of real earth power. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing. Yeah, there is something. It's just moving to mm-hmm. be here. And mm-hmm. you can, I always feel really connected to some inner part of myself when I'm in either place. Like, right. I just feel like the rest of life can sort of fall away. And you're just with, you're just with your own self, your soul, when you're out and about in these places and just connecting with nature. Exactly. And, and I think it is. It's a very profound connection where <clears throat> you just feel, um, I guess for myself, it, there's just a almost a symbiosis to it. You know that you just have a real primal connection yeah. that I don't necessarily experience in other places as much. Yeah. If, there, if there's... A little more civilized, if they're a little more, more recent human presence to mm-hmm. change the landscape, you you kind of lose that feeling, right? Um, so they're both they're both really special, and it just it's kind of funny how different, but yet <laughs> right. they have that feeling. Um, so here we are in New Mexico, surrounded by this beauty, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about? how you ended up here. Sure, I will. I first came out here um, with a boyfriend who had lived out here uh, for many years and wanted to introduce me to the area. And through that connection, I made friends with a friend who invited me to use her cabin for a few months. And at the time, I was looking for a way to just paint um Intensively, I wanted to to have that opportunity, and so I took a sabbatical from my job and moved to her little cabin, and that was supposed to be for two months, but basically seven years later, (laughs) (laughs) as often happens here, people come and they just are so 
Um, enchanted. Enchanted. I hate the land to, of enchantment. It is the land of enchantment. <laughs> I know I hate to be, uh, you know, using that, that, that phrase so much because it's very overused. But I know you is. have to kind of laugh when you say it, but there <laughs> yeah. is truth to it. <laughs> there is. So, uh, long story short, I, I had a very peripatetic existence for a while where I moved from place to place, sort of house sitting and painting, and then, um, Finally found myself in Llano San Juan, which is the village that I bought my cabin in. And then almost immediately, <laughs> I was only here for a couple of years when I, I reached a real crossroads in my work. And my work up to that point had been very representational. I mean, I learned from um, the teachers that I studied with how you could imbue a representational image with a lot of feeling. Mm -hmm. you know, there could be powerful emotion in representation. And for a long time, that, that really was very satisfying to me. But as I got to a point where I thought I could go one of two ways, one way was going to be to just double down on that. And the other way, which was starting to appeal more, was to find other ways to express what I was feeling in those places that meant so much to me. And and landscape has just been the, the art form or genre that I've been drawn to pretty much all along. I started out doing figurative work in college and I and I did some still life work, but when I finally turned to this professionally, I really was captivated most and energized most by painting landscape mm -hmm. so I and was decided, this a um, plein air or no I was never really a plein air painter um I did plein air and part of what you do when you're studying in workshops is plein air if you're doing landscape workshops I love that I mean I think you know you get a lot out of um, being in the moment and certainly you get a lot of information which is very valuable mm -hmm. but a lot of my work required percolation, and I tended to find myself being not just a painter, but I, I was very attracted to reduction and um, and and working back into paintings in a way that um, removed paint, ah. <laughs> kind of an expensive way. Um, <laughs> but the orbital sander became a. a feature um, because I would often um, strip layers back. And if you've ever tried doing that just with straight oil paint, it's an awful lot of work. Uh -huh. And as I was looking into other ways that I could maybe utilize that inclination, I came across cold wax. Ah, and that the magic of cold wax <laughs> which can can be reduced as easily as it can be um, built up and, and excavated very easily. Mm. Um, so, so that's what got you interested in yeah, the reduction. Yeah. It was really about texture and getting a lot of textural layers in my work uh -huh. that were not, you know, in plein air that solution tends to be maybe with using palette knives or ways of of really building body into work and getting texture built up that way I wanted to have as many areas of very thin work and and even layered because cold wax allows you to work back into layers in an unexpected way yes yeah there's lots of surprises in cold yes. wax work and that really appealed to me yeah it, and it brings a real organic quality because you know i i guess on a personal note when i first started using it i felt like i'd been 
creating te- or rendering texture, like creating texture with my brush. Right. Exactly. But then with the cold wax, after a while, I figured out it just, if you build up those layers and then you do the scraping and removing and whatnot, you get that visual texture that exactly. comes from the layers and you don't have to um, create it. It's, right. It's there. It's there. Exactly. And it's so, yeah, you yeah. created it, but there's a element of surprise when it, you reveal it. And there's a real variety. You know, if you look at a painting that's mainly painted with palette knife, I mean, a lot of that stroke work of the knife looks very similar. And I wanted a real variety of texture. So I came to the cold wax workshop wanting to learn not only about the techniques, but also how I could move my work in a direction that was going to be more felt that was going to feel a little bit more elemental of the feeling or of the place and Mm -hmm. maybe less referential. And so that also drew me to that particular workshop. Uh Uh-huh. So getting away from the tiny brush rendered details and yeah, because we, uh, the way that I teach, we use, uh, we use palette knife, some brush, but mostly, um, uh, squeegees and brayers and palette knives. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're you're releasing a little bit of that control, although you can learn to control it in a lot of ways. That's that, true. Um, but they're all connected to that sort of organic buildup of material. So, so thus commenced a four-year exercise in frustration. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As often happens when one is, you know, feeling some mastery of one technique or one method, one approach, and then one becomes um, exposed to learning a new approach. You just have to start over with beginner mind. That is so true. And it's it, it really is frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as an instructor in these workshops, I've seen that so often where somebody's really good at something and then they're confronted <laughs> with this new material. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, you're not going to jump right into it. But you did pursue it, and that was several years ago. Yeah, yeah, so, that was right. And what have you been doing more recently? We'll show some pictures of Cindy's work, by the way, on our our website, but our Facebook page. But um, yeah, so how has this kind of come about now? So it's all come around in a really lovely way. And I will say to anyone who's been struggling with it, just persevere. Yes, <laughs> It will get better and you will get some mastery. And for myself, I was so fascinated by that tension between some representation and then the abstraction that, that you were really leaving it to the viewer to interpret what they were seeing. And what was so fascinating to me, because I really had come to a place where in my representational work, it just felt sort of stale. Mm -hmm. Um, This, uh, oddly, reinvigorated the whole spectrum for me. And so I, I started working with some abstract concepts I wanted to work with um, a duality um, just in studying um, some of the ideas that are taught in abstraction workshops and, and, you know, they're kind of an entrance to abstraction. Um, You know, you're taught about like, you know, different techniques, different ways of, of, uh, constructing your image and and bringing some kind of composition to the image. And so I was wanting to work with an abstract concept, and mine was um, presence and absence. Presence and absence, yeah. And that 
really did seem to be a thing that was emerging organically in the work. There would be passages that were sort of void or quiet and passages that had a lot of activity. And then at the edge, there was an overlap where one might have partially obscured another. Mm -hmm. And of course, Irish imagery, Irish landscape is all about that. There's just everywhere you look going to be an overlap of layers or surfaces, and it can be with water, can be atmospheric with fog or mist. Um, When you're out on the coast, as we were, there's surf constantly washing over all this beautiful stone. And the, the way that that movement happens in the overlap is what was so fascinating to me. And I found an interesting quote. Yes, read it. Um, that was in this book by, uh, it's, it, it was a posthumous um, book that was collected of John, Do- John O'Donohue's work. And it's about um, absence. Mm. And he's talking about almost like an emotional loss. But I think this can also be true because I was doing a lot of this work away from Ireland. Well, I was just going to say, before you read that, when you were talking about presence and absence, I thought, well, there's a conceptual thing, too, there. Because, like you just said, you were present. You were very present in Ireland and now you're gone from Ireland, but right. these are memories and these are filtered through your absence. Exactly. And and it is a painful and longing absence. And I think what people would say they saw in some of the work was a sense of longing. Yes. So <laughs> it's almost a, a nostalgic sense of, yeah, just how how sweet and how beautiful. And yet there's always an edge to anything in that landscape. Exactly. And so it's not just pretty, it is also powerful. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And a harsh, it can be a harsh, harsh yes. or a painful edge. So here's what he wrote I think that absence is the sister of presence. The opposite of presence is not absence, but vacancy. Vacancy is a neutral, indifferent, inane, blank kind of space. Whereas absence has real energy, it has vitality in it. And it is infused with longing. Oh, so he does. He says things so well, doesn't he? he? Does. Yeah, that was that was John O'Donohue, and maybe we we'll put that quote up too because yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. Um. He and he's an Irish was an Irish writer as well. So, um, yeah, that the emotional content, the visual content, it's all there. Right. And what was so interesting at the time that I was that I was reading some of that work. I was also reading a lot of Robert McFarlane, another mm-hmm. writer. He's a British nature writer who also writes very eloquently about landscape. And he was talking about interior geographies really? of landscape where you internalize a place that has meant something to you. And so people carry this inner map with them mm. of their own places that have been so special to them and have worked on them. And and what I thought was interesting in Ireland and and that was so rewarding to me, because I did, as Rebecca said, 
I continued to go back, and I will continue to go yeah, back you again. You can't stay away. <laughs> you really can't. I've been four times now in four years, and, and I will return. Um, and the only reason I didn't this year was because I was moving from Texas back to New Mexico. Um, <laughs> but I will go, I hope, next year. And part of that returning is uh, there's just a revenance of of what that place has meant to you that can just be reinforced mm-hmm. by revisiting it. And, and that is one of my special places. And Robert McFarland writes very eloquently about how the landscape works on you. It's not just you and the landscape. The landscape is actually doing something to you. Yes. And I felt that the Irish landscape was calling forth this new style of working. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. I can now do that with other references, other landscapes, but I feel like I would not have learned it, yeah. perhaps, if I hadn't found who I was in Ireland. And there's that wonderful quote that's Robert McFarland's, which is um, the two questions he would ask is, what does the landscape know of you that you don't know of yourself? And the second one is, who are you in this place that you can be no place else? Right. And I think in Ireland, this is the painter I was that I was able to bring back and be and inhabit after my time there. Oh, that's that's really moving. And I, I think, you know, what you said, too, about the revisiting of the place. So every time you go, this is my experience, because I've also, because I've been there many times. Right. Every time you go, it's something, something yes. else that yes. speaks to you. Yes. But you still have all the other stuff. Right. That, from the other times <laughs> you were there. So it, it builds on itself. And... Maybe one time you're noticing the the beach or the other next time the hedgerows or whatever it is, but it all continues to form this this picture until at some point it's sort of the whole, the right. everything. Right. And, and for me, this culminated in a show that I recently had um, back in Austin um, in August that was about that crossing back and forth. And I called it crossings. Uh-huh. And part of that was because I was I was crossing back and forth. And it wasn't just crossing back and forth from from Texas to Ireland. I was I was crossing in my work between abstraction and representation. Uh-huh. And so the work that was in, included in the show ran the gamut from very representational to very abstract. And it was all based on Irish imagery. But I felt that it gave me just all these points of entry into future work uh-huh. at any point along that spectrum. And that unlike a lot of artists where maybe they will move gradually more into one or the other, I am feeling a lot of flexibility about moving back and forth between both simultaneously. And that's very exciting. Yes. I, I think that shows in your work and that the freedom to, I mean, I was looking what was in your studio, which were pictures from your mm-hmm. show, and there were some quite representational mm-hmm. and some quite abstract, and mm-hmm. and they're all you, right? You know, and it's um, that is a great freedom, yes. And so something maybe about the travel and the the experience of so many different things while you're there, it like you say, it opens up so many doors, and um, it's fascinating. 
And I know you, you mentioned also uh, several books, and you uh, often what you read is... It does entering the word entering mm-hmm. what you are painting. It does it because I think it's always wonderful to work in in I enjoy working thematically, and I enjoy bodies of work, and yeah. that can be influenced or informed by what I'm reading. At the Is there time. are there any other authors you want to mention? Well, I certainly was reading poetry, which is always a companion, and so this was Seamus Heaney. Oh, I love Seamus Heaney. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know. I yeah. do too. And um, uh, let's see, Robert McFarlane. Um, I did read some other things. Well, some John O'Donohue, and um, uh, I'm trying to remember if there was anything. So you're else particularly that. drawn to people that are writing about the land and about yes, and Irish authors as yes, well. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes. And, and Seamus Heaney's work is so rooted. It, it is. It's, it's really literally it rooted in in yeah. the landscape there. Yeah. I guess Michael Longley. Michael Longley is uh, another poet that uh, was a contemporary of Seamus Heaney's. I was oh. trying to remember who was my other influence, but Michael yeah. Longley was also yeah. um, a poet. And I know I people have mentioned other Irish poets to me mm-hmm. that I should read, and I can't think of any of them right now. But it's a very rich vein. Yes, uh, Ireland is known for its poets, and uh, and it all it all works together. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so when when you say that these um, writers and poets and all these people that you're interested in in that verbal input, mm-hmm. is there a way you can explain how that enters your work? Sure, and you know I've done it different ways. In this particular uh, iteration, it was really just reading. But in the past, I have paired poetry with imagery like very deliberately paired it together yes i've also even inscribed things under work in the past and i didn't do that this time i I confess i was really enamored of mixing in um more of the physical terroir and i think we talked a little bit about that earlier where i mixed pigments in and i mixed uh sand and um, actually even peat ash into these into these works of this most recent Ireland painting body of work but in the past there's always been some influence either very directly or indirectly of um, of reading and I think there's something about adding that language I mean it's it's a different point of entry to what your imagery is communicating. And I feel that it really enriches that communication. Mm -hmm. Whether that is expressed publicly or not, I think it's it's something that you're taking in yourself Mm -hmm. that you're then able to convey energetically. Yeah. And, you know, from my... And I haven't done this very much, but from my experience with working with... Seamus Heaney's poetry mm-hmm. for a series I'm doing now. There's there's something that happens. It's you're not illustrating no, the right. words. The words are coming into you and they're percolating around and then something else comes out, but you know the connection and it may not be any one phrase or right. anything like that. It's just what it's a it's a a more amorphous thing. It is. And I think a lot of times when people think, oh, 
you're taking something from a written word that it's more of an illustration. Right, that it's more literal. Yeah. And, and no, and I've never done that. I've never actually tried to represent whatever the image was. Mm-hmm. The poem or the or the bit of writing I thought was its own artifact. Yes. And so I didn't want to try to I didn't want to try to replicate it. I other than possibly having it in its entirety with whatever my image was uh-huh. that was somehow inspired by it, but not like a direct representation. Well, it, it strikes me how basically abstract thinking that what you're saying is because just like we look at the landscape, but at this point, neither of us particularly interested, and maybe right. at one point you were interested. But it's in, the same in idea. Absolute representation of right. that thing. But as you described your process, you pulled back from that absolute representation and started to interpret right. on this path into other directions and it is similar it's like well no that already exists right that is the thing that is the thing and what i want is my response to it or some emotive feeling about it or something essential about it that is not so directly like you said illustrating it right it's it's your your thing is separate than the thing that you're inspired by. <laughs> and what and I think what you say to the viewer when you do that is, um, well, it invites their own response exactly. to the thing, whatever it was. Right. Um, and it sort of conveys the idea that we are, um, we're taking in our world and we're responding to it. We're not replicating it. And that, that that's an, uh, an expansive idea, I think, for, for anybody to say, Here's what I see, no, here, whatever. And then what is, what, when it goes through my own filters, what is it? Exactly. Because that's an Alembic. I mean, you're actually transforming something. Yes. It's coming in as a raw material. Yeah. It is meshing and mingling with whatever your response is. And yeah. then you're, you're expressing something that's completely different. It's uh, it's alchemy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're very magical. <laughs> so uh, I guess um, we're sort of wrapping it up here. This has really been interesting. Uh, Cindy, is there anything you want to touch on that we haven't? I don't think so. I just want to thank you so much for having me on the Messy Studio podcast. Oh, I'm it was, it was a great conversation. Thank you, Cindy. <laughs> Well, that about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. Please make sure to check out squeegeepress.com, as well as www.rebeccacroll.com, and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher, and leave us a rating and a review. Remember to share the show with friends and family and anyone who you think will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.